Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm Momentum. And we are 32-year Wall Street veterans who have had to take on secret identities and go underground in order to provide you with our candid views on a handful of stocks we screen for here in the shop each week. You've seen our faces on TV. You've seen us quoted in the news. But our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air, so we've disguised our voices, and they'll never know. This week, September 7th, 2012, we've run a GARP screen, which means growth at a reasonable price. We've got three outstanding value ideas, or at least medium, uh, this week. But before we get to that, a couple of important caveats. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only. That's not a guarantee. Secondly, Mo and I are professional portfolio managers and analysts during the week, and we do a lot of careful fundamental analysis, we interview management teams, we go to conferences. Um, We've done absolutely none of that here on the show. We're just reading through uh, some screen data. And then, uh, let's see, another caveat. Uh, Our lawyers say to remind you that we may not have your best interests in mind and may accidentally recommend you do the opposite of what actually is good for you. So do your own work. And then finally, and this may become more evident over time, we have been heavily drinking. Unlike last week. Yeah, unlike last week. And we're actually, you can email us if you think the show is sounds better on the new Elixir. Yeah. But well, uh, it's it, it comes in a giant crystal skull. Shout out to Dan Aykroyd. Thanks, Dan. For signing the Dan's bottle. a listener, evidently. And uh, But it's, what is that, voodoo vodka or cranium uh, juice? I do It's a crystal skull, skull. Crystal head vodka. Oh, product of Canada, which evidently not only do they have fine banks, but they have fine what? Fine, fine vodka. banks and yeah. fine vodka. So thank you, Dan. But and that, this uh, is a you spilled some on the blotter and it went right through the to the to your desk. <laughs> so we'll have to skip that stock. Evidently, we can no longer read that. But uh, anyway, so we've been enjoying that, and uh, we've got. Three great names coming up for you that although, got through. Although I must yeah. say, in my opinion, and yes, sir. This is going to be controversial. Okay. I think one of these stocks, yeah, is pure garbage. Well, we're going to have to see about that, won't we? Uh, this week we're doing Intel, ticker INTC, Timken Company, TKR, and Waste Management WM. And your claim, Mo, is one of these is pure garbage. I'm going to prove it. People have to wait around for that. With the numbers. No way. All right. Well, uh, Mo, I, I haven't seen you in a week. Or, what have you been up to this week? Have you been doing anything interesting? We were at the convention, obviously. Well. Um, so what did you think? I loved it. I love the food. It's mm. great. And it's nice they invite the value guys so we can weigh in in terms of uh, each convention's platform and how it might affect the stock market, I think it's nice for them to call us in for that type of special expertise. Well, you were you were saying that uh, you thought that uh, Mitt was a little too soft in his... Well, uh, you know, uh, uh, l- l- let's just get, out, let's get, get it all on the table, Mo. Yeah. I am uh, interested in a small government so that private enterprise can thrive. That's how we built a great nation. That's how... Uh, you know, we managed to have quite a bit higher uh, gross domestic product per capita, all that, and et cetera. On the other hand, I also want to help the downtrodden. 
And as you know, and you may be, I mean, we each give a lot to charity and we want to give back and all that. So I see a lot in both sides. I also think you should be able to, you know, marry who you want. I personally, I don't care, marry, you know, what have you. And, uh, but, you know, my issue really is, uh, is who is uh, going to help the economy and, and let people uh, uh, grow an economy to where you can, you can help the downtrodden. And it reminds me a lot of an old Aesop fable, actually, Mo. It's we have a golden goose, and the goose can give a lot of uh, golden eggs, but, and you can give a lot of them to the downtrodden, but if you kill the goose... No more eggs. No eggs. So yeah. that's my political philosophy right there. And then let the goose marry whoever they want. I guess I'd throw that in. The goose, you got a goose with a, with a duck. I, I don't have an issue with that. Goose with uh, two ducks. Well, you, you know, know, think the thing from the show's... A snake, you know, what have you. From the show's perspective, um, we've, got, we've got some decisions to make. Um, thanks all of the... Uh, the thousands of emails that have come in, and yes, I will tell you now officially that Val and I are considering nominating ourselves and uh, running for running for office. There, there really is no one that is upholding the values of our country. You know, when you really get down to it, we need a president that understands the stock market, understands a good value, right? And I'm not seeing that from either candidate. Well, I'm not seeing a concern for small cap stocks. I'm not seeing a concern for large cap stocks. I'm not seeing a concern for the bond market, frankly, Mo. Speaking of which... Um, how, well, let me just ask you, though, before you get into that. How would the ticket be? Would it be uh, a Val-Mo ticket or a, a, a Mo-Val ticket? Val-Mo. Val-Mo? It's the historical way it's because, Val-Mo. Okay, I'm good with that. That would be the ticket. Yeah, okay. I mean, an independent uh, party... And, and, but then you know, if I die in office, then you would have to step in. I would be a heartbeat away. Yeah, you'd be a heartbeat. So, if I'm recommending Intel, and you feel good about Intel as well, I accidentally die in a tragedy, let me ask you something. There's would you stick with Intel? I would stick with okay. Intel. Okay. Yeah. I like that. So, uh, yeah, we should consider that if that's what we're going to do. Um, and last piece of business... Wow, it's great that the show's gaining momentum. We're getting Twitter feeds now. Yeah, we do that. You know, yeah, I've been meaning to YouTube talk about stuff that. stuff going on. Yeah. The uh, Nature Channel wants to do a special well, on us, the reality show. We're working out the wardrobe on that one. But uh, one thing that we now get to add to our resume is we are now seriously moving some stocks. We are. Well, this we is what's interesting. Are. Go back, read the tape. Friday, August 28th, yeah. we, what did we highlight? Morning. GLW. GLW. Eleven and a half bucks. Yeah. You know yeah. What it, you know where it is after? We go out, we we shed light on an undiscovered company. Undiscovered high quality manufacturer in America. And yeah. it shows you the the efficient market at work. The market took that news, digested it, analyzed it, said correct, bid the stock up nine percent. Yeah. Since yeah. we and the market was up uh, 2% right. during that period. So we period. have a 452% annualized return. 452. Beat that. Well, to this show, let's see what Yeah. We're... You know, uh, I, I've been expecting maybe some Corning executives to give us a call, you know, maybe a thank you for helping their net worth. Maybe some stock No, no they're not calling. Well, no one's calling. I wonder why. Um, 
But, uh, no, that was a good one. And I want to point out, because you, you mentioned this, Mo, uh, we recently began doing something that people that don't like hearing this type of banter and jabbering about nothing, they don't want to hear that. They just want to get right to the stocks. And I understand that. I'm the same way. I'm only struggling through this part of the show to get to the part where I get to talk about the stocks. But, you know, Mo and I are having a couple of drinks. So, the answer, a new podcast called Value Guys Stock Clips. So all I'm doing now, and frankly my wife doesn't appreciate it because it takes time out of the wee time she's got planned. But uh, I'm taking the show and I'm cutting it up into pieces by the tickers we talk about. So at the end of this show, if you don't want to have to listen to all this again, and who would, you can just go to Value Guys Stock Clips. It's on iTunes. It's also got a URL, uh, thevalueguys.com slash stockclips.xml. Pop that into your browser. And so you'll be able to pull these things up by ticker. So that Corning comment you just mentioned, it's out there. People can go listen listen to it. It was, it was as if we had a crystal ball right here in the it studio. Was, it was amazing how quickly the market took that message, and, and it was a... It was a good feeling. You really want to believe that the market efficiently processes information. It clearly does. Yeah, and they just only go to the best and listen. Well, I think yeah. that when you put something out there that's as compelling as last week was, it raises eyebrows. People do take a look at it, and then the aha phenomenon well, comes into play. Well, listen, we're, we're going to talk about Intel today, so I guess this probably just going to be going up then as well. Perfect. Yeah. Let's, let's take a look Should at it. Should we get into it? Yeah. All right, well, this week the screen was... Uh, you know, and again, I'm just, uh, we're in my fact, in my office. We just used FactSet. We did a screen called Growth at a Reasonable Price. And it's even, you know, even simpler than that. It's only based on annual data. And right now, the only annual data we have ends in December 2011. So this is kind of a 30,000-foot screen. It's certainly using today's price. But what comes out is companies that are growing at a pretty good pace and are uh, not too expensive, right? Um, and you can measure growth a lot of times by just looking at the ROE. Um, that's the growth in equity or ROA, the growth in assets. And it gives you a pretty bo- good benchmark. So we, we, we had 160 stocks come out, and Mo and I, uh, with the help of some adult beverages, again, thanks, Dan, uh, we went through all 163 with nearly a fine-tooth comb, wouldn't you say? Uh, one or two teeth or, in that. Yeah, well, there, no doubt about that. And we came up with these three. And uh, let's just get right into it. Alphabetically, Intel Corp, INTC. The other part of the screen was market caps above 300. And I know some people listen in for our small cap thoughts. And, you know, maybe we'll get back to that next week. Uh, but this is a big cap. Obviously, $121 billion. There's 49 analysts covering this, Mo, so... I don't even know where they get that many people, but we're not going to add a lot of new insight uh, into this. But here's the stats. It's 4.8 times EBITDA. So that means EBITDA as a cash flow measure divided by enterprise value, which would be the, uh, the cash price we'd all have to pay to own this thing. I can look at it sort of like a yield. So 5 times would be 20%. 4.8 times is probably... I don't know, honestly, 22%, something like that. Pretty freaking good. So that's what attracts me. And then I look at the uh, returns. They're putting up, you know, last couple years, 
Upper teens, returns on assets. They use a little bit of leverage. Mid-20s, upper 20s, return on equity. And then the other quick look for me is EBITDA margin, just telling me how proprietary it is uh, what they're doing. And it's 40%. And that's up from, you know, 38, 35, five years ago. So, you know, these guys, they're down from 2010. They were at 46. But that was up from 31 the prior year, so something unusual happened. They're sitting at 43, which is uh, pretty amazing. And it's, uh, as I said, five times EBITDA, ten times PE. And, you know, I don't know what this means. Does this mean that they're about to lose the chips in the uh, Windows machines, even more share to AMD? Does it mean Apple's going to drop them in the Mac? Does it mean people believe there's a general slowdown in technology? It could mean all those things. So who knows? you got to go figure this out. But Intel is such a stalwart in terms of market share of semiconductors that, uh, my, and they spend more R&D than nearly the entire rest of the industry. And so you've got to think that they're going to continue to be involved, and it's cheap as hell. That's my uh, quick and dirty analysis. Well, you know, I'd I, I just throw in a couple of observations. One, um, if I was going to go further with this, I would want to take a look at their unit sales in each of the last bunch of years. Because if you look at the if you look at the uh, revenues of the company, you know, 38, 37, 35, 43, 53, 54, sales are creeping up. But are they under a lot of price pressure? Are unit sales really going through the roof and at some point they're going to hit a wall? And um, I don't know. But I, I would want to at least look at that, because when I see sales like that, I just wonder, is there some underlying, something on mission? mission. Yeah. A lot of sales pressure. From a technical standpoint, if you just take your iPhone and uh, connect the lower, every time the stock is uh, bounced as it's been progressively moving upward, you just connect them all, you get a pretty clear trend, and the stock is about to bounce off that trend again. So it's interesting, it looks kind of technically attractive, but I have a big picture question for you, because you look at this more than I do. Um, is the laptop dead, and do these guys go down with the ship when the laptop dies and we move to a tablet world and a Kindle world and all that, and is there any big structural issue to keep your eyes open for? I think you're hitting it right on, Mo. I think the concern is, is that exactly that. And so, the reason you might sell it five times EBITDA, I mean, Remember, to, to have five times EBITDA be a fair deal, you have to start out thinking you're going to get five times, you're going to get EBITDA for five years. If EBITDA starts to go down a lot, you're never going to get the five years of current EBITDA and you haven't made a good purchase. So I think that's the crux of it. Um, you know, we have all these devices, and I will say that. Um, the tablet has its place. I think when you add a keyboard to a tablet, you know, you have kind of a very small, light, skinny laptop. I mean, when I look at my, uh, you know, my MacBook Air, or I look at a tablet with a attachable, you know, Logitech keyboard, the difference is one's smaller and lighter and has a longer battery life. Um, I think we're all heading the same place, and the question that I would piggyback on yours simply is, if you're right... Can Intel come back into the market? Because we know in the case of Apple, they bought a company that designs chips and they have them outsourced and manufactured by Samsung. I mean, who knows how long that's going to go on. But 
if we move to a tablet world and Intel doesn't have a product there, then that's certainly a problem. But I might argue that the death rate of the PC and the desktop, um, if only just to have something that is able to be locked down in an office. I mean, a tablet is so hard for a you know an enterprise to manage for right. the bulk of people. Right. So I, I, I don't know. I think that is a, the crux of the question. Well, you know, the last thing I would throw on the table is when you're looking for some guidance and you're looking for a little moral courage, look what the company's been doing with its dividends, and their dividends per share have been, you know, pretty decent. If you look at the history, 40, 45, 55, 55, 65, We haven't 75. played Guess the Dividend in a while. No, we have Guess the Revenue's coming up, though. Guess the Revenue. Uh, that's the tricky one. Well, you know, in the dividend, it's a it's a nearly a 4% yield at yeah. this price. Again, yeah. uh, that's pretty telling nice. telling you that they believe that they're not going down on the ship, but they really would be a little irresponsible to be raising the dividend um, in each of the last couple of years. So they're sending you a pretty clear signal. Story seems pretty logical. Technically, it looks great. You like the valuation. Yeah, and I like the uh, dividend coverage on the yield. Yep. And then finally, I just want to point out that the analysts that cover this, there's 40, uh, there's a lot of them, they have been bringing their estimates down. So in the last three months, estimates have been coming down, it looks like 20%. Uh, as the outlook probably gets a little cloudy. And that's got to be some of this near-term pressure on the stock. Um, but 10 times earnings, 4% yield, that just seems too cheap for, to me. I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay, next up. This one is a pretty interesting, I think, because it's a Timken company. Ticker is actually... TKR, which is an abbreviation for ticker, so they were there pretty first, clever yeah. of them. Um, and, uh, you know, the valuation catches my attention. Four times EBITDA. Again, that's 25% cash on cash return. Now, certainly it's before you put money into uh, CapEx and interest and taxes and all that, but we can think of that as a little bit of a, a cash flow yield before we reinvest in the company. Um, and pre-tax, certainly. But that would be 25%. That's pretty compelling when the Treasury's at one and a half or wherever the hell it is. Um, Timken, uh, the, the, the P.E. on this thing is 7. So, again, and the stock's down from 60 to 40. So, do your homework. Somebody thinks something's going very bad. Although, when I look at the estimates from the analysts, they all came down uh, between 20 and 25% three months ago and six months ago. So that's old news now, but that explains why it went down. Something went bad. It could be Europe and the potential for a decline there. But these guys make something so fundamental that, again, in the theme of needs not wants, when you're in a period of uncertainty, they make uh, bearings, uh, which are the little BBs that go in all wheels so that when the wheel turns, it doesn't scrape against the axle. you got little round spheres in there. Each one can take about, I mean, it depends on the device or the vehicle, but tons and tons of weight. These are the real heavy lifters of industry. Any wheel that's carrying any weight, these little bearings are in there. And I think Timken, it doesn't say here, I think they have like a 80% market share or some crazy thing. I mean, go figure that out, but my impression is that it's very high and that they don't lose customers. So when rates are low, Annuities have a ton of value, 
and I think they have that. Um, they put up pretty good returns, uh, not as good as Intel, um, but uh, recent years, 10% return on assets. They leverage it into the upper teens, low 20s on equity. They've got 25% debt to cap. That's not too bad. Gross margin, 26%. That tells you it's a competitive business, but they're pricing it such that you know they, they don't uh, lose customers. They still manage to put up an EBITDA margin that's 18%, and having a low gross margin, high EBITDA margin suggests to me that um, you know they have a lot of secret sauce inside, logistics and such, to get their asset turnover up, and that probably is a competitive advantage. So it's a lot to like here. It's a cheap price. Do your homework to see why they think sales are about to go down, but I, I believe it's probably Europe, and they're a long-term player. There is a case we made a few weeks ago for a manufacturing renaissance here in America for a lot of reasons. You can go listen to it. But they'd be smack in the middle of that moat. So I like it. Timkin. You know, um, I'm not going to uh, focus entirely on technical stuff for this show, but there's another interesting technical trend. Timkins had a couple of issues that came up. You can see this because they actually cut the dividend in 2009, um, and they've, uh, they've cut it again uh, this year from 78 cents a share to 69 cents a share. And as a result of that good news, bad news, good news, bad news, the stock has round-tripped investors two times since 2009. But each time that it's more or less round-tripped, the bottom has been a little bit higher. So when you interpret that technically, what you're saying is you're having the stock is taking off, correcting, taking off, correcting. Every time it corrects, it corrects to a progressively higher level. So technically, that's what's happening with this stock. What I want to know more about, and I don't know the business, is what happened in 2000, um, 2010, 11, and 12 when their dividend went from 50 cents to 80 cents and now it's back down to 70 cents. Is there a way that I can figure out what's going to happen with that number? Is that reflective of the business? And is a 2% dividend yield safe? So another dividend-driven Hmm. I'll take a look at that. Well, it's a two percent yield. So, right. uh, but the dividend's been so variable <clears throat> yeah. for the last couple of years. If it goes back to forty-five cents a share, whoosh, there goes your yield. So, I want to know why. I don't. I don't remember ever seeing dividends that dynamic on yeah. a year-to-year basis. Yeah. No, I think you're right about that. So, I don't know what that. I don't know why they do that or what caused. Well, it could be there was a special dividend here which bumped it, maybe, yeah. and they never changed their quarterly rate, but. Again, we're doing as little work as possible. I'll speak for myself. We've done as little as work as possible. So that's Timken. And then uh, waste management. Well, well, I mentioned earlier it's it's pure garbage, and it is. It's um, <coughs> is that all they all they do? That is their <coughs> pure garbage. That's their entire business. It garbage. Is. Yeah. And let me tell you something. <laughs> business stinks. <laughs> Does it? All right. Well. So waste management ticker symbol WM. Now here's here's one thing I don't know about them. They're, they obviously they operate in the following regions: Eastern, Midwest, Southern, Western, and Wheelabrator. Wheelabrator. What? What's that? Well, you tell me. It's uh, maybe right? it's a subsidiary they own in the uh, Northern, Southern, Western, and maybe that's their Western. Or no, I don't know. I don't Wheelabator. know. Wheelabator. Well, I, let me Google. Wheelabator is a new region of the United States, which we're going to. Uh, Did we win that in I'm the um, sure. Spanish American War? No, I think we won that at the G7 in a poker game. 
Wheel of Barrel. I'm, I Wheel of Fortune. Wheel of Brader. Wheel of Brader. Well, so uh, that, here's a here's an interesting thing. These guys were uh, started 1987, so it's at 25 years. 25 years. They built a company that employs 44,000 people. That is pretty damn impressive. That is. That is. Since yeah. we've only grown by two people, and a lot our of business it, employs two people. Yeah. yeah. And the podcast. The value guys. Business. We haven't added anybody to the podcast. No. We haven't hired anybody for this. No. Time will tell, of, though. Not a cast of thousands. We, do, we are doing some interviews. And we are selling tickets. Just so you well, know. Well, that is the true. Next life Something came up. I want to do a shout out to Ed because, uh, honestly, uh, a friend of mine who knows our secret identity saw me on the street. He wants to come in and listen, watch the value guys do the show. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, we were talking about charity events and, you know, raffling on off a, a, a show, so stay tuned. We may do that. Well, I've got, I've got this thing here about a wheel, wheel uh, abater. Yeah. Uh, it's a wholly owned subsidiary of Waste Management. I mean, we uh, knew that. Tell me something we don't know, yes, right? Uh, it's the nation's leading owner and operator of commercial waste-to-energy facilities. Ah, so this is where you throw garbage in. And you get electricity coming out. Uh, right? You know what? And, and I'm, as I'm reading through some of the waste management stuff, yeah, they say that they uh, their waste to energy landfill gas to energy facilities, right, could power nine hundred thousand homes. And there are as long as they're downwind. I mean, or yeah. upwind, upwind. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. upwind. Yeah. Upwind. Yeah. Um, so, huh. I think when we both looked at this, the first thing we said was, "Well, are you?" Are you throwing out more garbage than you were four years ago, or weren't, or aren't you? Yeah. Do you feel more garbage heavy than you did four years ago? And, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think do. It's not something that is, uh, people are going to stop throwing garbage out unless we go recycling more. Here's my theory. GDP is slower than we'd like, but it's going up. And everything you buy it becomes comes garbage. In a, it becomes, in a, it's in a package, right. Right? right? I think a lot of it is, anyway, not, the, not all the services. But I went to the dentist today. You know what I got? Here's the truth of it. I got a toothbrush, some toothpaste, and some floss. But you know what I got, really? A toothpaste in a big cardboard box, floss in a big box, right. uh, toothpaste in a big box. All those boxes were in, a, were in a bag. The bag was in another bag with a handle. With the old toothpaste. Yeah, right. And I came back, and I just I, I threw everything out. Right. I mean, one trip to the dentist generated... Four pounds of garbage right there. I mean, what's the, do the math? How much and, uh, garbage is that? My wife went shopping last week, and I think she weighed in at the end of the day at about uh, 100 pounds of waste. 100 pounds. Yeah. So this is something our listeners can do at home. If you want to know if waste management's a good stock, Measure weigh your garbage. Your garbage. And, yeah, weigh your garbage. and uh, it's and needs not too, once. And you can, too, can be a real investigative analyst, An analyst. like us. That's the path to Wall Street. <laughs> weigh your garbage. <laughs> Well, uh, okay, here, here's what I like about waste management. Well, first, needs not once. Right. And this company's been around a long, long time, and there's reasons for that. It's because people want their garbage taken away. And, uh, you know, they have a, I, I can't tell you here, but they have a giant market share. They do $14 billion in sales. Now, the problem is, is that six years ago, they did $13.4 billion in sales. So... GDP, garbage, that's kind of a linear relationship. 
and uh, and since services are actually growing faster, and services don't tend to have any garbage or wrapper or what have you, so it's a slow grower. But in these low interest rate environments, you know, a dollar now or in the future has never been more valuable. All you present value formula uh, people know about that. So you know, this thing is um, it's consistent. The risk, I think, to the business is nearly zero. EBITDA is a straight line. 16% return on equity, 5% return on assets, and I think it's just low because municipalities are the customer. They can't show, like, a, a big a big profit margin uh, or re- asset margin. I guess they, they are actually showing a pretty decent EBITDA margin in the mid-20s, and their assets are high... Uh, you know, trucks, et cetera, terminals. Maybe that's why their ROA is low, and they make it up on the uh, on the asset turnover, and they put up a decent ROE. Um, enterprise value to EBITDA eight times. That's a 12% cash on cash return, 15 multiple, higher than some of the others, but more stable. And here's the kicker: 4% yield. So needs not wants, 4% yield. That's my. I like, and I, I got to agree. I like the dividend yield, but you know, I also look at the sales, and uh, so here's we're going to do some. Uh oh. Guess the revenue stream. Guess the revenues. This is where you bring to bear 30 years of Wall Street analysis, where you're where you're confronted with something that would so puzzle the novice, but for you this is going to be easy. Bring it and, on, man. Bring and, it on. Um, it's a little it's a little insight into what it's like to be able to do this. Okay, <sighs> we're starting okay. in 2006. Yeah. 13 million. Billion. Billion. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 2007, 13 billion. Okay. 2008, okay. 13 billion. Uh, hold, let me make a note, one sec. Okay. Now, here's where you get the zinger. <laughs> 2009, 12. Oh, man. 2010, 12. Okay. 12. 2011, 13. Wait, let me, make, let me review. 11 and then 12. Is that right? The last 12, two years? No, and then 12 and 12. 12 and 12. Okay. So it's 13, 13, All right. 13, 12, 12. Okay. 13. Yep. 13. Yeah. Okay. What's cool. the forecast? Ah, <laughs> uh, Mo, my old friend. I'm going to say 13.2. Spot on, my friends. <laughs> you know, I that just had exactly, a feeling. That is exactly what I the, can't explain how I do that. 11 um, other analysts have that yeah. forecast. Is that what they have? Yep. And they probably worked as hard wow. as we did to get it. Well, they might have had a calculator. Yeah. I'm just working right from just, I have a pencil. And they do this for a living and they're professionals. And I'm scribbling. I'm not even writing anything. That's amazing, though. So, well, yeah, I like that. I like that. And, you know, how can you not know, how can you not like a company that's really cleaning up America. I will throw out one thing that could be a surprising upside surprise to this company. No one's, you're not hearing this anywhere else but here. And that's because no one on the street is drinking as much as we are. Yes. But, here's my thought. All over America, you've got these dumps, right? What are they called? Dumps. No, but they have a more professional name for them, like... Uh, Landfills. Landfill, thank you. Landfill. Now, you have these towns. Now, towns start out small, right? And they move the landfill, what they think is far, far away. Five miles away. Wow. Until the town begins to grow. Yeah, here's what happens. 
the town grows, and next thing you know, you're trying to sell to the town members how this landfill could be a miniature golf course or something right. like that. The tower <laughs> with an all downhill. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's a problem. So here's the thing. These landfills are having to move farther and farther away. And the logistics of the number of trucks you need to go that far, all of a sudden a bunch of your trucks are just in transit and you need it's it's a it's it's a, there's a multiplier effect. If you go twice as far away, you need four times as many trucks. Just trust me on this. Do the math. And so we might be entering that time, you could Google this, when actually hauling your garbage away is gonna get much, much more expensive because all the easy landfill stuff, the cheap landfill stuff, is going away. You're going to have to move out another thing. You're going to have to buy a bunch of new trucks and all that. And um, and I think there could be price increases, which clearly from this chart we're not seeing any of that. And I think that's just a hidden gem because let me ask you listeners, if you had to pay, and I don't know, you don't even know what you're paying for trash right now, but let me just say, if you had to pay a 10% Increase to have your trash removed, and you knew that it wasn't going to break you, you would just say yes. I mean, of course, because you absolutely need to have your trash removed. And so I think that's kind of a secret uh, potential here that's not a little bit of upside showing up. Yeah, makes makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Now, were you were you going to do a drive by? Uh, well, I was, and oh, then I decided been... against it. But let's do a an aborted drive by. I have a drive. You have a drive by. Oh yeah. Sure. So, um, <laughs> shout out to the Obama campaign. Listen, you know, the one thing that I thought He's you a guys, listener. Yeah, hey, you know, could have used when you want to really talk about, you know, uh, Mitt Romney talks a lot about Staples, one of the companies he's built. You know, You're why didn't you guys show us a stock chart during your speech at the convention? Because, yeah. yikes. So get this, Staples has gone from $30 a share to 11 Not good. Not, Not good. good. And so why is Romney even talking about well, Staples? It's probably his fault. Well, if these guys go under, they have 88,000 employees. Yeah. That's a month's worth. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, we owned, uh, United, we owned United Stationers. We owned uh, Office Depot. It's a struggling area, but I do think it's interesting that uh, and, and he did have a success with this at one time, but this industry is under a lot of pressure because everything in there is for physically storing something, physically writing something. And I'm not a seer, Mo, but I have a hunch that that's losing share to the digital uh, documents uh, and all that. We had a presentation the other day by, uh, there's a company called Salesforce.com, it's pretty amazing. It's your, uh, you know, uh, futuristic Rolodex that can not only keep track of all your clients and prospects, but feed them, basically, as well. And it's, it, it's got links to all their documents, all their medical records. I mean, whatever you need. Not a single sheet of paper. Right. Or a staple, for that matter. And uh, so, yeah, that's, uh, so that's a freebie. We're just throwing that out to the Obama administration as something they can uh, We can do a really quick, very quick, do some analysis on this. Give me a revenue forecast. I'm going to give you okay. some history. Yeah. We're talking now in um, in billions of dollars. Billions. Yep. 24. Okay, 24. 24. 24. 24? I got it. 
Yes. So using that information, using the algorithms that you have access to, some of the mental algorithms actually. I've got the most sophisticated software known to the investment community right here. So what any task. Give me 2013. You want the next year's revenue estimate. Based on okay. a sophisticated Listen, analysis and, and you're kind of putting me on the spot here, Mo. But uh, give me another. Okay. Let me uh, let me key a few things in here. Uh, <coughs> wow. I'm coming to it, Mo. Hold on. Uh, I'm going to say 24 point, uh, 24 billion. Spot on again. Oh, Spot on. And it just it shows you cannot you. learn this. It's, it's just well, experience. It's experience. It, it's Thirty years, yeah. and so don't try this on your own. It's use, a, use a professional to do these. Now, what was it uh, ten years ago? It was probably thirty-four billion, right? Yeah, that's very okay. All right. Well, uh, we're at the exciting part of the show that we like to call walking through national economic trends. And, of course, as usual, uh, I've not even begun to do that work or even printed anything out. So we're going to have to pause the show. I don't think you will have to, ladies and gentlemen, but we will. And we will be right back. Right back. Standing flute. That's really well. Strange. I was going to say. So it's it's out. The band is yeah. now. You know, we're out. We're on YouTube. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've been working on that song for not yeah. quite a year. Anyway, we're back with uh, walking through national economic trends, and it's occurred to me we've only each taken part of the economy. To so save it's time. Uh, yeah, it's walking through half of the economic. You trend. took the right. I did the right side. I have the right side of the economy. You have the left the side left of the side. economy. Where do you want to start? We can't uh, start in the middle because nobody start, has it. Well, how about you? St- go ahead. You start. Okay, great. Uh, I have the first half of the uh, national economic trends September. That's as of uh, uh, today. Today, if you look it up on the internet, you can get it as of as of the moment you're looking at it. Thank you. Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. Um, and I'm looking at two pictures. One is on page three, and one is on page seven. And what I'm looking at on page three is yeah. interest rates. What's happened since 2009, 2010, 11, and 12. Yeah. And uh, interest rates have gone straight down. A lot of down there. And i got to believe, when you look at that long trend, and now you look at the yield curve, What's happening is the yield curve is flattening out. Yeah. So what I think happens over time, and you tell me what you think of the, the, the macro case, is people are finally waking up to the fact that rates are not going to come back up. They may go lower. 
they're clearly going to go sideways for a while, and fixed income is uh, really not going to provide much growth or not in much income in the next two or three years. Does that money start flowing into dividend stocks, which is one of been of the big themes on this show? some point you say, listen, I have to assume some extra risk because I need that money. And uh, this seems like the safest alternative to go. If I, if I, where else do I go if I'm retired? I need yield. You need yield. And it's either live low or accept a little more risk. You know, we've talked about this. I think it's uh, the, the situation we find ourselves is a bad deal for the people that follow the rules. You know, you saved money. You thought you could retire. You were kind of counting on a 6% yield in pretty safe stuff. I mean, almost all our careers, government bonds were in the 6 to 8 range. And you, it, you felt you could count on it, but now it's one and a half. So, And you're looking at the Treasury yield curve there, I believe. And so, you know, there's a lot of risk for inflation, but this idea that the United States is actually the best, you know, we talked about this on the curve, we're the best economy, so we're a... Uh, we're a place uh, to, to store value and a place of safety, and so uh, demand for the bonds pushes the yield down. It's, it, it's terrible for the savers. But nonetheless, I think people are finally waking up to the fact that it's not going to change anytime soon, and if you do see a migration into the only other real alternatives for a lot of people is uh, uh, dividend-paying mutual funds, dividend-paying stocks, I think that's going to continue to put pressure on dividends. And so if you can find good companies that haven't seen dividend compression, yield compression yet, um, it's uh, one thing that uh, intrigues me. Well, here's something I, one thing I don't like about uh, uh, the Democrat uh, position on tax rates for dividends. If you think about it, if, you get, uh, if you're a company and you issue debt – and you pay an interest rate, you get a full tax deduction for that. That's deductible. So in effect, you're only really paying for that capital your one minus the tax rate times the interest. On dividends, there's no deduction. That comes out of net profits. So at the high at a high level, companies and we shouldn't have a system like this, but companies prefer to use oftentimes debt because of the tax deduction. On the on the buyer's side, if you uh, receive a an, an interest payment, that's taxable. If you receive a dividend, it was taxable. This was the old way. So in order to try to equalize the total cost on the economy for dividends and interest, rather than change the tax rate at the company level, so debt still remained, tax deductible, dividends did not, or rather interest, but at the buyer's level, the dividend became taxed at a lower rate. If you multiply those rates by each other, they're remarkably similar. So when you raise the tax rate on dividends, and I think it's a completely different debate as to what tax rates should be for different income classes, this is a talk about tax rates on dividends on equity. And so the problem I think you have is that by raising those tax rates, you further screw the guy that's saved, who right now is only bastion is uh, yield, and he's now going to get taxed at IRA. But you also shift the incentive back to debt, which is not good in the long run. So I do think that we probably need to pay a little more tax. I don't think dividends is the place to do it, and I think you know your chart kind of suggests that as well. So point point well taken. Yeah. I don't know. Um, last. Last trend we're going to look at on the right side of the economy is this um, 
picture of what's been happening with <clears throat> oil and natural gas, and obviously natural gas is continuing to, looks like it's continuing to get cheaper and cheaper. And you were telling me before the show, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. Your conversion? Well, we own some coal, and coal's gotten really beat up by the lower cost of gas as a result of all the additional supply that's come on as a result of the fracking technologies. And so the story for coal becomes, well, you know, they still need a lot of coal in China and India, and I've made that case because it's still the cheapest way to make electricity. But it's only the cheapest way if they don't start fracking over there and pushing down gas prices. Now, we do have a pipeline network which helps, you know, prices at the wellhead. They don't have as good a one, so, you know, their prices may be higher. That may give you some insulation. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really... Hmm. Rethinking our thesis on Colmo as a result of uh, the potential for the technology to travel, and, and since the developing world isn't as ecologically sensitive as we are, the, the, yeah. any issues with groundwater yeah. or anything else are, are not going to be an care. impediment for they them. Don't care. They the don't o- have the luxury. Of the only about impediment them. is is it uh, is it everywhere? Can you can you frack in? Yeah, you can everywhere. You can. Yeah, I mean, if with the, if you bring the technology there. Schlumberger is a worldwide company, and I think you call them up one eight hundred Schlumberger, and they can they can help you out. So tell you what markets, what developing markets that they're not fracking in, but they're going to frack. And well, so, I mean, if you're China, you just have to call Schlumberger. They're going to they'll show up and start fracking the crap out of you. Right. Yeah. Right. So so okay. that's the that's the right hand side. What I had a few thoughts the, here, Mo. Left hand uh, side. Now, granted, the half that I went through. My printer broke down. I couldn't print both two copies. So it's amazing what happens after hours. Everything breaks down. I mean, during the day, we'd have a guy up here. He'd be fixing the copy machine. Right now, Mo and I are hanging out. But it may it may force innovation. It may actually set a trend for the show. Maybe, yeah. We could flip for what co- what side of the economy we want. Well, I might flip for your thing. side because I just got a lot of uh, numbers and crap on my side. You had all the beautiful charts. But I did manage to pull out a couple things that are topical. Okay. Yeah. Topical. One is current government receipts and expenditures. So you hear a lot about the deficit. Well, you know what? Turn to page 16 in the current national economic trends from the St. Louis Federal Reserve, and there's the whole story in the top right. You've got total expenditures, and this goes back to 88, that have varied between, it, it pretty, you know, not super stable, but in 88 it was 33% of GDP. This is total government federal, local, state, 33%. And then during the 90s, that number came down to 20, roughly 8%. And I'd say, just knowing a little bit about that period, that was largely a reduction in military expenditures at the federal level, because if you see those are parallel lines. So all that came out of the feds. That was a reduction in military spending as a result of us winning the uh, Cold War and cutting uh, military expenditures during the 90s, which was probably the right thing to do. I think we still spend more than everyone else combined, so that's cool. Meantime, uh, during that time, total receipts went from 20, what do you say, 9 maybe, up to 31. And then you have this golden period between 1998 and 2001 when the government actually had a surplus and it was a function of rising federal tax receipts, and I believe that's largely a result of uh, lower capital gains taxes, which 
created a giant increase in the number of assets being sold. So even though the tax rate was lower, you had three times the number of sales, and that generated a lot of tax. And you had that military expenditure coming down. But then, starting in 2002, so this, I guess, is uh, it's the recession we had in 01 and the increase in military expenditures that we had with the war on terrorism. But that gap immediately got uh, receipts at 27, expenditures at 32. Long build up to this point. Right now, federal expenditure, total expenditures are 35% down from 37 a few years ago in in uh, 09 and receipts are still stuck around 27 so that 27 to 35 gap between receipts and expenditures that's the deficit basically and it's a pretty large number although the good news is expenditures are coming down so 2 years ago they were 38% now they're 35 Receipts are ticking up a little teeny bit. So there is some good news here. I mean, obviously the election is going to you know, cause a lot of things to change. But the natural tendency here is for these things to start coming together. And my guess is um, it'll take six or seven years, but we're going to get this thing balanced up again. You know, it's a, what, what a historical point. You know, you go back to that period in 02, which was the, you called it the sweet spot, where we actually were generating a, a, a government surplus. Well, 98 to 01. Yeah. yeah. And uh, remember, there was a time, believe it or not, when Alan Greenspan was warning Congress about what the implications of having no federal debt would be. They actually thought that they were going to completely pay off the federal debt around 2020 or 2018. Yeah, and the problem and, of not having a bond market. And they were, they were preparing for that as an, almost an inevitability. Yeah. How did we ever get here? Well, I just... <laughs> I put that up on the shelf. You yeah. don't have to be able to reach it that well. Okay, uh, let's see. I, ha- I thought I had one other thing here. I may not have. This is not only the left side of the uh, economy, oh, it's the go. tail end of the left side. Here we go. Here's another one. No, I got something here. Now, I know that uh, a lot of people um, want to understand what's happened to manufacturing. And, you know, it's, it's, at the, it's at low end in terms of its contribution to GDP. It's around 15%, which is still pretty healthy. But the number of people in the business has dropped off a lot because a lot of automation in, in those ma- manufacturing processes. Well, I'm looking at page 20, National Economic Trends. There's two charts, utilization rate and output per hour. And I'm focusing on output per hour for manufacturing. And I've got 25 years of data back to 87. So when I look through this line, the output per hour grows roughly uh, between th- sort of three back then, kind of got up to a 5% level for a while, certainly fell in the Grand Recession or whatever we're calling the recent period, but now it's back to three. So here's the point. Manufacturing is all that big, heavy metal stuff we need, so it kind of grows with population, maybe a little higher, but population doesn't grow at 3 to 4%. It grows less. Yet output per hour per worker 
is growing at four to four and a half percent for 25 years because we're good at manufacturing. Well, what happens? And then that's including uh, labor rates that you know many argue are too high, but this chart suggests no, they're not too high. We're still generating a lot of increases in productivity. Well, when you grow for 25 years with a four percent increase in output per hour, and population grows at whatever it is, 2%, pretty soon you have way too much stuff being made, too much capacity, and so you can end up you know, having way fewer humans involved in the process because to make the same amount of stuff that you need because of this consistent growth in output per hour per person, you can start to reduce people, and there you have it. And they get over into the service area, and uh, I think in service, generally, incomes are not as high or have intended to be. So uh, there you have it. A lot of answers all in one chart, Mo. Page great. 20. That's great. Yeah. So uh, did I have anything else here? Selected share. You know, I share. just wanted to point one other thing out. Page 21. Selected component shares of national income. And it's just interesting to look at. Compensation... In 87, in 1987, I should say, it was 66% of national income. And now it's 62%. So it's down actually 10 percentage points over that period. Total compensation as a percent of national income. Uh, well, where did that money go? Well, proprietor's income, which is entrepreneurs starting businesses, went from 7 to 9. And that makes sense to me because... A lot of very healthy productivity tools, I mean, for example, computers, the Internet, etc., laptops, cell phones, came into use over that period. Not shocked that more people became entrepreneurs because the cost to become an entrepreneur went down. But here's the more surprising thing. Corporate profits in 1987, now granted, that's maybe a low, but 87, 88, 89, 9% of national income was corporate profits, and right now, it's sitting at what i got to believe is an all-time high, 14% uh, national income is corporate profits. And I think that's because of this consistent growth in productivity we talked about. They need less people. Uh, wages grow. Benefits grow. But when you buy machines, their wages and benefits don't grow. So as a result of these productivity gains, and I'm not a Luddite, but I think this just explains a little bit why you're having uh, less engagement of labor. And in the long, uh, you know, the long curve of history, I would say the lower employment now is people who are figuring out, or a group of people, over time they will be engaged in some better use of their time that will enhance all of our lives and grow GDP. We're just in that period such as right when looms came in and all the seamstresses were saying, well, what am I going to do? Or when uh, fertilizer came in and a bunch of farmers weren't needed anymore because each one could grow twice as much. We're in one of those periods where a lot of people have been displaced by increasing productivity, but 20 years from now they'll all have something better to do that uh, helps the economy. Well, certainly, certainly something better to do than uh, listening to this, so... That's a good way to call it a night. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I guess that's the end of our show. It's gotten to be pretty 
long at this point. So And dark. So thanks for listening in, everybody, to the Value Guys Stock Talk Show. Don't forget we have a Stock Clips podcast that will cut out all this jabbering and get right to the stock ideas. See all our caveats, bios, uh, disclosures, pictures our moms took at www.thevalueguys.com. So long, everybody. Have a good weekend.